In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, every year for Advent and Lent as part of our uh, Christian discipline, we double the amount of time we spend in church each week. And we focus on one part of the catechism, one part of the Christian faith. And for Lent this year, we're focusing on the sacrament of holy baptism, what it is, what it does, how it does it, what it means, and who should receive it. So these next five Wednesdays or four that are left are dedicated to learning what God's word clearly says about holy baptism. Now, there are a lot of things that the Bible says about baptism, but, and we're going to look at that in detail. But for tonight, we focus on the question of what is baptism? In other words, we learn about God's instruction and his command about what baptism is. After Jesus' bitter suffering and death, as you heard in that second lesson, after his resurrection and at his ascension, he tells his disciples this, what you just heard. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So before getting into the text itself, I want to preface it by saying this. Uh, Who speaks determines the weight of what is being said. So the person speaking determines the weight of the words being said. So, for example, if some random person from the street walks up to you and says, give me money, uh, then it doesn't hold much weight. You can give them money and you're free to give them money or free not to give them money. That's fine. But if the IRS says, give me money, then everything changes (laughs) because they have the authority to demand it of you. They have the authority to require that money from you and chase you down and find you if you don't pay it. I'm not saying that they use it for good reasons or any of that. I'm simply saying that the IRS has the authority to do it, right? They have that position uh, to require it of you for better or for worse. Now, the same, whole, the, the same words hold more or less weight depending upon who is speaking them, okay? Now, with that being said, go back to Matthew 28. And the first thing that we see is that Jesus doesn't have some authority. And he doesn't have most authority. He has all authority. And not just authority in heaven, but on, in heaven and on earth. The word authority here in Greek is exousia, which means dominion or power, that he has all the strength, all of the ability, all the right to control and govern everything in heaven and on earth. All capability. He has all of it. He has all the power because the Father gave it to him. Matthew chapter eleven twenty seven says, All things, Jesus says these words, Jesus, all things are delivered unto me of my father. Psalm chapter 8 verse 6 says, speaking of Christ, you have put all things under his feet. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 8 says, God left nothing that is not put under him. And this means that Christ rules all things in the world. 
Daniel chapter 7, 13 through 14 says that Christ rules all people, nations, and languages. Look, we've never seen this before. We've seen kings rule over certain people and certain languages and certain nations, but not over all. We haven't seen one king overall. Psalm chapter 8, verse 7 through 8 says that he rules also all things moving on earth in the air and in the sea. Psalm 110 verse 2 says that he rules even over his enemies. He rules over them. So there's not one thing, one place or one territory, one creature or planet or atom or molecule or moment or second that the Lord himself does not have dominion over, that he himself is not ruling over. In theology, we call this Christ's kingly office. Simply put, that Jesus is king, is king of all. And his rule extends over everything that is created, every relation and every situation. Now, that's the first thing we need to make note of, is who is speaking. It is Christ, the king, the one who rules over all things, the one who created the world with the word in his mouth, the one who created galaxies greater than your mind can comprehend, the one who can flood this earth with fire and unroll the universe like a scroll before his face, the one who knows how many hairs you have on your head, how many thoughts and what your thoughts are, the impulses of your heart. He knows all these things. And he is the one who now opens his mouth and speaks. So what in the world should we do? Not listen, not pay attention, not take him seriously, fight with him or argue or debate what he says or find it ridiculous or scrutinize what he says as if he can't do it. Now, since Jesus is God and therefore he is the most powerful and important person, then it follows that whatever he says then is the most powerful and important thing for us to hear. And at this very moment of his ministry, the very moment of his ascension, the culmination of it all, the very last thing he speaks into the ears of his disciples, his apostles, what does he decide to talk about? Baptism. He talks about baptism. The second thing then to note here is what he says that follows. The text says, therefore, therefore what? Well, since all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me because I'm capable of everything and because there's nothing I cannot do, because everything is under my feet, Jesus then says, okay, because of this, go and make disciples of all nations. And how? By baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, I admit that to my flesh and to my eyes, uh, baptism seems very foolish and a very ineffective way to make disciples. It seems like a terrible way to grow the church, to bring people into the kingdom of heaven and to give them eternal life. It seems absolutely foolish to me. You think about it. Uh, We've seen multiple baptisms already here at Zion, even baptisms of infants. We gather here together in this building. We hold a baby in our arms. We walk up to this font 
fill it with water. And then we pour that water on the infant's head. And we say, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then that, that is the reason that child is going to heaven. (laughs) That is the reason that child is worthy to the Father. That. Not a life of good works, not a thing that this child has done, but that, that water is poured upon the head of this baby. So it seems so foolish. But whenever I think this, when I'm tempted to think this, I quickly remember that I was born 30 some years ago. And I don't even know, remember what I ate for dinner last month. What in the world do I know? Who in the world am I to judge what Jesus has said? If anyone is the fool, it is not God. It's me. If anyone knows more, is wiser than we are, knows exactly what he's doing, it is not us. It is God. And so when he gives baptism and he says, this is the way you will make disciples of all nations, then we simply take our thoughts captive and bow to what he says. The apostles had the same understanding, and this is why they didn't argue with Jesus, because they knew and they saw his power and his glory and his majesty. And this is why the entire New Testament is full of this teaching of baptism. This is how generations of Christians thought of the words of Jesus here. In fact, Martin Luther approached the word of God in the same way, with the chief understanding that God is God and that you and I are not. That is how he approaches the scriptures. And listen to what Luther's attitude to what God says is. This is, this is a, a, a pretty big quote here, but uh, bear with me. It says, if, he says this, he says, If God were to tell you to pick up a piece of straw or a piece of grass or to pluck out a feather from a bird, and if he commanded, ordered, and promised that because of this, because you picked up that blade of grass or picked out that uh, feather from that bird, that because of this, you would have forgiveness of all sin and grace and eternal life. Would you not joyfully and gratefully accept this and cherish and praise and prize and esteem that blade of grass and that feather as higher and holier possession than heaven and earth? No matter how insignificant that straw and feather may be, you would nonetheless acquire through them something more valuable than heaven and earth. Indeed, than all the angels, something greater than they're able to bestow on you. Why then are we such disgraceful people that we do not regard the water of baptism, the bread and wine that is Christ's body and blood, the spoken word, as we would the straw and feather. God himself wants to be effective and wants the water, the word, the hand, the bread, and the wine to be the means by which he sanctifies and saves you in Christ, who acquired this for us and who gave us the Holy Spirit from the Father for this work. So that is how we approach all of God's word. We treasure whatever God says because it's coming from him, because we know the one who's speaking it. And if clinging to what the Lord says then makes us fools in the sight of the world, then so be it. I would rather be a fool with Christ than be a moment without him. So if anyone asks, 
Who told you to put water and word together? Who told you that this is for the forgiveness of sins? Who told you that baptism now saves you? Who told you to do this even for children and infants? When they ask that, we confidently and humbly say, it was not my own reason or strength or my idea. It was not a minister or a priest or a pope. It was not a king or emperor or a lord. It was not Christians or philosophers or scholars who said this. It was my dear Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who said these words. And because he said it, it's true. I did not choose this based on my own heart and mind, but rather Christ himself told me to take this thing and use it in this way. He clearly and plainly commanded this. And for that reason, because it comes from him, because he tells me to do it, it means everything to me. And I believe it. That's how you should respond. When people ask and say, why do you do this? You say, because my Lord said so. Dear Saints, baptism is not a church tradition or a man-made rite. It is not some sort of superstitious entrance ceremony and symbol in the church. It is what the Lord himself has given to us to save us. And even if the entire world would oppose us and they would oppose this teaching, then we say, so what? We have Christ on our side. We have the Holy Trinity on our side, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit who spoke these words on our side, who says to do this and who gives this as his divine instruction and command, the divine majesty, the King of Kings, himself has said it, and therefore that's how it is. And so when we hear the question, what is baptism? Our response is, what is baptism? It is whatever God says it is. That is what baptism is. So we simply and humbly do what he says, because he is God and we are not. Now, before closing, I want to say this. <clears throat> Although Christ won all authority in heaven and on earth, what does he do with it? At this moment, he doesn't use it for himself, but he uses it for you, for your sake, for your salvation. He uses it, this moment he uses to serve you, to baptize you, to wash away your sin, to give you a clean conscience to comfort you with salvation. He commands you to be baptized, not because he wants something from you, but because he wants to give something to you, namely himself, all of his merit, all of his obedience, all of his righteousness, his forgiveness, his love and salvation that he accomplished on the cross. God commands that you be baptized because he wants, you to, he, he wants to be with you always even to the end of the age, and to make you his forever. Baptism is not just plain water, but it is the water included in God's command and combined with God's word. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.